Hi everyone, this is Trish Kendall, your host for the Choose and Become interview series. Today, I'm so excited to be with my guest and friend, Ryan Skinner. I'm going to do a very quick intro to Ryan, uh, then I'm going to have him tell us more. So Ryan Skinner is a leading financial advisor for Apex Retirement Services, and Ryan is a development coach, a performance coach for men, and the host of the podcast, Cracking the Code. So this interview series, Choose and Become, I started it because I made five critical choices on my journey from the pit of despair to the peak of success, enduring success. I chose to pick up the phone, which was the first choice. I chose to commit to a two-way agreement. I chose to build trust in myself and inspire the trust of others. I chose to create community and belonging and Finally, I chose to embrace my boundless capacity to love. That journey led me to where I am today. And now I get to interview people who I admire, and they share a little bit of their insight, wisdom, strategies, and lessons about their journey to enduring success. So Ryan, thank you. Thank you. And I'm in happy, Ryan's happy studio. <laughs> I'm in his studio today, which Gary's is super studio, fun. <laughs> yeah, it's probably Gary's studio. So Ryan, do me a favor and just tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get into it. All right. I think my story is, in a nutshell, is pretty simple. I had some success in my career. I got introduced to opioids. Opioids took everything away. I made, actually, opioids allowed me to give everything away. That was the worst part. Is I was handing over my life. At the bottom, I was a heroin addict. I went to prison. And um, after I had a fresh start, you know, I believe people come into your life for a reason. And, you know, you told me about the phone call. And I had somebody very similar in my life. And when that happened, it changed everything. So, all right, let's. I got to say this, Ryan and I met on a plane. I should yeah. have said this to be good. And it was about a year ago, maybe yeah. a little bit more than a year ago. I was flying. You're going to do a keynote speech at some island. Yes. And so that's right. I was going to deliver a keynote speech. He was going to uh, a conference and we hit it off. Not only do we share some professional uh, similarities in what we do professionally, but personally with your journey. You are incredibly successful, both professionally and personally. What I want to know is what does enduring success mean to you? Achieving enduring success. (laughs) That's something I strive for. You know, you mentioned that before and I thought to myself, geez, for me at this point in my life, you know, at one point I would have said, you know, a healthy marriage, you know, good work-life balance, yada, yada. And that would have just been all BS because truly I'm a workaholic. So enduring success means my practice keeps going and growing. We help more and more people. At some point I can step aside and it can continue without me because I'm not that unique. Um, In my personal life, my little one has autism, making sure she grows up and she's successful and my older one's a rock star, and I just want to make sure she continues to be successful and make smart choices. And, and you know, obviously, in my personal life, I'm not really sure other than that. Now, right now, that's kind of enduring success for me is being a good dad and being a good business owner. And obviously, coaching other guys, they've gone through midlife crisis, they've gone through real life stuff that can and that hurts. You know, guys don't like to admit when it hurts, but the truth is, a lot of things hurt. And you, one of the things that that just gets to my heart is the way that you talk about Dylan and Kennedy, your two daughters. And I feel that um, fulfillment and joy come from you. 
in the success of being a dad to them. I love it. Um, I, if I, I always say I'm glad I didn't know when I was younger because I probably would have brought kids into this world long before I was ready. It's the greatest thing ever. I, for me, that's the highlight. Driving Dylan to school today, having her pick music, what she wants to listen to. Here's a kid who's autistic and she used to have to have earmuffs on everywhere. And now she's asking to blare the music and she's got her special shoes. The girl opens the door to take her in and she's like, hey, can you hold this bag? And like, she's just, she's doing so well. And Kennedy's just turned into an amazing young woman. It's, I got Kennedy when she was five. She's my stepdaughter. And I never thought there would be a bond like there was. She's the reason I wanted kids because I kept thinking, wow, she's amazing. If I had ever been there earlier on, it would have been amazing. And uh, it is a gift. You know, you're a parent. It's, it's totally. a gift. It's a challenging gift because you try to balance it. You try to be the best example. The truth is they don't come with a playbook. They don't come with <laughs> and I And I screw up every day. Oh, like I, literally I every day. Every day I'm saying, oh, I just need to reset. I just need to reset. <laughs> okay, here's what I want to get your perspective. And, and I think the way that we go about this, and I'm going to ask you the five choices, the five choices that I made, and I'd like you to apply them to your life. And I think the men that are listening, the families that are listening, the parents that are listening, the clients that are listening can apply these into their lives too. Okay. The first choice that I made, uh, I was 20 years old, and that choice was to pick up the phone when my sister called, and, and you know that. When you reflect on your journey to where you are today, your journey to success, was there a first choice, whether practical or profound, that you would say that really impacted my journey here? Yeah, I, th I think there was probably two. Um, the first one was I was married for a short time in my 20s, and uh, it was during a tumultuous time. And she, she you know, she, she did the best she could, but I was a mess. And even when we were at the bottom, we weren't close to each other and we had grown apart and um, we realized it just wasn't going to work. I was too messed up. But she pushed me to go to an AA meeting and I went to that meeting and I thought at the time that I was better than everyone else. I mean, I, and my car was at my house in foreclosure. My car was getting repo. But in my mind, I still looked different. And there was a guy who came up on a bicycle. He looked rough. He looked like he was homeless. But he talked about spirituality and that peace and something. And I got his phone number. And it turns out he's very successful. He's a director at a hospital. He just happened to ride his bike. <laughs> but I said to him, wow, you looked homeless when I met you. That moment, when that guy put his hand out to me, he showed up at jail. He, I, I don't know if he made the first step or I made the first step. But that connection to this day, he's the guy I look up to. I mean, he's the guy I try to emulate. That's awesome. So you met him and the uh, first choice that you made is connecting with him yeah. and calling him. And now he's been a part of your life always. He's the godfather of Dylan. <laughs> I mean, there's not much more to say. Mm. You know, he's, he's amazing. Now I find, and when I interact with people that sometimes making first choices is really hard. Like we know we need to do something, but there's all these reasons why, why is it so hard to make a first choice? It's, it's, for me, it's discomfort. Like it, you, even when things are going bad, like when I was a full-blown heroin act, there was a comfort in that. It's what I knew. It's like, hold on. I have to give up everything I know to hope that something else works, to hope this person doesn't let me down, to hope this, hope that there's so much faith it takes. And, you know, we make, for me, I make decisions. I make changes when the pain is great enough. All right. Hold on. Come here. I love this guy so much. <laughs> I, and sometimes when you see things, it speaks to me so perfectly because you've lived it yes yeah yes and and i remember not knowing who i am without being a crystal meth addict yeah and it, all it the was, things that that girl was everything for the second get up the chase the whole thing it was more natural th than just sitting in my own skin in peace yes it, it's it, crazy and i love you who i love who you are <laughs> <laughs> i some days i do some days i don't but you know what i even at a bad day i'm not out running school drugs and let my kids down and that's a yeah word. 
That's know? a win. Yeah. It's a major win. Yeah. Uh, the second critical choice I made was to commit to a two-way agreement. And before I get your perspective on this, when I think about a two-way agreement, uh, at the time I committed to that agreement with my sister and her husband, David, they took me in. You know That's that when cool. I was a crystal meth addict and my friends were and my friends were gang members, drug dealers, and, and a murderer. That's who my sister brought in. When I think about a two-way agreement, the structure of that, you know, two entities or two people coming together uh, with the intention of achieving a mutually beneficial goal. You know, we lift each other up, we're accountable, et cetera. Uh, and the power of that is in committing to the agreement. Yeah. Will you share, because I know you have, will you share one of the agreements that you've committed to, a two-way agreement, and uh, what you gave and what you got by it? So I was about to get out of jail. My lawyer had said, hey, listen, the guy's not testifying. There's Allegedly, I did something violent, and the victim wasn't going to show up. And the judge said, okay. And I put my hand out. I said, Your Honor, can I fire my lawyer? And she said, you don't want to do that. I said, no, I do. I said, here's what I want. I want you to hold me in jail until you can find me a bed for treatment. If you let me go home today, I'm going to use or I'm going back to jail. Can you do this? She said, Mr. Skinner, if you do this, we'll pay you back to jail. I said, listen, my commitment is this. I will come back. I will be back in this courthouse paying it forward. I will be a part of this community. I will pay this back if you do this. And she said, all right, then you're going back to jail. And uh, when I got out, I went back. And now I speak for the court system. And I'm very involved. And my buddy's the chief over there. And it, that was a two-way agreement. Like, he looked at me and said, you, you screw me on this. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> he did. He goes, I'm going to put you through a wall. At that point, I already pushed the probation officer. I was breaking all the rules. And he said, I'm going to give you one more shot. And if you really want to go be held and you want treatment, I'm going to get you this court alternative program. But you go in in shackles, you leave in shackles, right? You're going to have to do 90 days. I don't know if you can do it. I said, Vic, give me the chance and I'll do it. And uh, since the, to this day, this guy and I see each other every week. Yeah, I go by the courthouse every week. This guy is one of the biggest plays in my life. And tell me, when you go, when you see him, and when you go to the uh, prison facility, what do you do there? Well, he's at the courthouse. The courthouse, and I just walk in like I own the joint. Like you're not supposed to have drinks. I walk in with a coffee for me, coffee for him, and they just know me because they've all seen me fall and they all saw me come back. And um, people want to see you come back. What people don't realize, if you'll commit to trying to come back, there are people who are going to root you on. They get be in your corner. And uh, for me, Vinny was one of those people. And when I, at one point I fell with a relapse, it showed up as obvious. I said, Vin, I've been screwing up. He said, I love you, buddy. We'll get through this. And and that's a, that's the gift. I mean, the chief of police and was on our show a couple weeks ago. He's another one of those guys. I mean, I was getting arrested by these guys and he was cheering me on. I mean, I call him. He goes every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, he gets a call saying thank you. That's a gift. These guys played a role. So they were, but I think the first commitment was I looked at that judge and I said, listen, I will pay it back. And she was thinking to herself, she says, not Sean, hell, you've been here 20 times in the last month. Like you're a heroin addict. I was thinking to myself, what did you just say? But I knew there was something inside me that wanted to change. And when you commit, when you make a decision and you jump to it, there's no going back. But what, do you know what it was? What inside of you, you said 20 times you've been there. Yeah. This time was least. different. Yeah, I have a 13-page record, so I had been there several times. Um, what was different was this. I, I had met that guy from AA. He gave me a way out. He told me, like, I don't want to tear up. But he said, there is a way out. Here's the path out. When I knew this guy, he spoke with such conviction because I know he had beat people like me. He had done drugs like me. He had violent, psycho, crazy stuff. But he was a man that walked with integrity. And I said, that guy, there's a guy with a program. There's a guy with a path out. And um, I just, once I saw that between him and Vinny, I just knew that, Jesus, there are people in my corner. Here's my chance to get out of this. And, you know, I was tired of making my mother cry if you want the truth. I mean, that's yeah. the truth. Man. I was tired of making my mother cry. And how's your mom today? 
My mom's giving a good life today. She's a grandmother. She's old. She's cute. Um, my mom's strong, you know. My I always say my mom's a tough old Irish boy. She she could she could take it. She did it. She goes, I'll never forget. She came to see me in jail, and they had to get she had a brow with our wires because it's metal detector. And she's like, Brian, I had to get a jail brow. What is going on with my life? And uh, till this day, I laugh about that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> What's your mom's name? Pat. Pat. Okay. Um. Thank you, Pat. That yeah, is. Yeah, she was. She's. She's still great. She's a good grandmother. She's, uh, they're enjoying their life now. You know, they don't have to go to bed wondering if they're going to call the kid or mm-hmm. to got arrested. Or, I mean, God only knows what the calls they would get. Uh, one thing. So, Vinny, what's the gentleman's name that uh, you met at AA? So, Bill Tyner. Bill, um, okay. Yeah, Billy. Um, I was with him last night. I was with him the night before. Uh, he, he's, Billy, Vinny, and Pat. Your yeah, heroes. Yeah, but yeah, they really are. I, uh, it's, it's, it's in that order. It's probably Billy, Pat, then Vin, but those three people are. Uh, I mean, everything I have, I can, you know, and, yeah. that, and probably Bobby too, Rufo, those, those four. Like, yeah. And the thing about you now, so, and I will get to this third choice here in a second. Can I get tissue at some point? Is there yeah. anything there? Perfect. Right. We're just going to be, okay, cool. we're going to be doing yeah. the whole thing. Um, is my sister was my hero, yeah. right? She was my hero and her husband, both of them together. But my sister was my hero. I don't know. I suspect everyone might need a hero one day, but I know for sure anyone can be a hero. I love that you just said that because it's true. Everybody, you don't even know. You could hold the door for somebody. I've had people hold the door for places. Yeah, you know, I remember when I was at the bottom and people would hold the door for me or look me in the eye and say, hey, how you doing? And it made me feel like a human again. So it doesn't take a lot to make somebody's day. I think people think he has to be big stuff. I mean, you know, yeah, there's times where I'll go to the ice cream store and I'll give the kids a hundred dollar tip because they're serving ice cream, working their ass off. Or there's times that like I'll go to Walmart and try to pick up a tab for somebody who looks like they could use it. But then there's other times where I'm just going to hold the door and tell somebody, hey, uh, yesterday I saw a little girl spill or smoothie on her skirt and I was going to get my hair cut next door. I said, oh, that looks great. You kidding me? It looks better. And I helped her clean it up. And that little thing, that mother didn't feel embarrassed anymore. Didn't feel, I said, listen, I got a three-year-old autism. She spills everything. And right then and there, you made somebody's day. You know, And that's been done for me. Yeah. People think it has to be epic stuff. It doesn't. It has to be, yeah. It doesn't have to be epic. I love that. The third critical choice I made uh, was to build trust in myself and then ultimately inspire the trust of others. When, when I lived with my sister and David and I got clean, when I got clean and sober, that was, we've talked about this before, but that was really the first part of my recovery. My recovery was so much more than that. Uh, but at that time, I only, I didn't know that I could trust myself outside of the construct and the safety and the boundaries that my sister had created for me. And I didn't think I could ever inspire the trust of anyone else. So I chose to do that, to start building trust. How have you built trust in yourself? And then we'll get into inspiring the trust of others. That's a great question. I think um, you were talking about the comfort of your sister. I had the bubble being a program and then I was in a halfway house and then I was still on probation for allegedly three years. They let me off early because I had done so well and they didn't want to keep hitting me with these fines. But I will tell you, that was comfortable. Going to take, I know it sounds awful, going to take a drug test in front of somebody every week kept me honest. It was easy. Totally, totally. It was, after that, it was like, whoa. Um, what happened was I worked hard during that time and I worked with a good sponsor and we did a lot of 12-step work. And by the time I was off probation, I had a pretty clear head. I was dialed in. And um, so I think it's when you're in that bubble that you have to really work on yourself. And because at the end of the day, it's between you and God. And you got to stay away from relationships and you, you know, you got to stay away from all the nonsense. Really, that's hard because- 
addicts were codependent. You know, I, I used to bounce, I used to call it replacement therapy because I didn't have it in me to be alone. And, uh, you know, now I have that in me and it's, it's nice to be able to be, have the peace of mind to be okay alone or, you know, to just focus on being a dad or all that. When I was younger, it had to be like, now what, now what? Cause you mm -hmm. need the rush. Need the rush. Totally. And we're in sales too. Yeah. So let's true. just call it for what it is. That yeah. totally plays into oh, God, yeah. to our, our, our need for the rush. How do you inspire the trust of others? Yeah. I always say actions speak louder than words. Like, yeah, you don't have to hear because I can tell you whatever I want. I can tell, I'm a good, I'm a sales guy. I can tell you how great I am, what I do, right? Watch my actions. How do I treat others? How do I treat people who can do nothing for me? Because that's what defines you. What defines you is what do you do for somebody who, there's no gain. There's no, there's no skin in the game. Because that's really, if you're doing that, then you're a quality person. Everybody wants to do something for an individual that will make them money or can, they have this or that they can help me with. But when you do it for people that don't, then, you know, you look at those people and you look at them a little different. And uh, how does somebody lose your trust? Really easy. If you want the truth, um, I always say life's cutthroat, grab a knife. Like if, you, if you're in my world and you, you do something to betray my trust, um, it's not minor stuff, but there have been some stuff over the last six months that has happened to me. And an individual who was a big part of my life, I just could walk right through. I, I don't wish them harm. I just don't have the capacity to give you trust if it's not there. But, uh, but how about... Uh, it might take a lot for me to trust someone. You can just lose it like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, somebody told me once in business, you have to be slow to hire, quick to fire. And I believe that in every aspect of life. I'll let you into my circle slowly. And, and I'll be generous. Like if somebody needs something, like an addict or something, I'll, I'll be around them. I'll spend time with them. But I won't let them, you know, I won't leave my wallet around them. I won't have them in my house near my kids. But once you're on the inner circle, you you screw up, you know, you're gone. I have two kids to protect and I got my recovery to protect. I got way, in a business, I got way bigger things on my plate than somebody. And it doesn't have to be somebody who could be an addict or somebody who might have a criminal record. It could be somebody in inside life that you're supposed to trust and be able to rely on. And next thing you know, they're, they're, they're stabbing you in the back, you know? Yeah, right. And sometimes that's like the worst because, <sighs> it's, because it's not even expected. All right. I want to go back to you building trust in yourself and you inspiring the trust of others. So I am a big believer in do the little things great and great things happen. Just because that's Fact. the only way that I've been able Fact. to actually create the life that I have is through the little things. Yeah. Is there a little thing that you do consistently that has made an impact on building trust? I think there's two things I do every day. I start my day and um, the way I start my day is it's a few things, but I always make my side of the bed. Because you always want to keep your side of the street clean, you know. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. My wife does make her side. That, that's her lesson to learn. I'm not gonna. I used to do it. Then I'm like, what am I doing? I work full time, um, so I make sure I always make sure show my side of bed. I roll out of bed. I pray to a God that I believe in. You know, it's not. I'm not only religious as we talked about, but there's something out there. I think. Then I take a little quiet time and I, I also work out. And and sometimes I work out 15 minutes. Sometimes 10 minutes. Sometimes 20 or 30. But. Those things, that consistency, anybody who knows me knows what I'm doing every day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll work out later. You know, my days vary a little, but um, I'm consistent. I think being consistent and I think doing the little things like making your bed. I read, I, who was it? The guy, I read his book just recently, The Bullfrog. Oh. 
Um, and it was McRaven, Admiral McRaven. And it was awesome because he, when he spoke at, I believe it was Stanford, he gave the commencement speech. He talked about making your bed because, you know, you go home to a nicely made bed at night. Worst case scenario, you do this. And it's all these little things. Most of us that have success, you know, a guy in my business said, how do you make a million dollars a year? I said, well, call your clients once we call a few clients. And he's like, well, what do you mean? What if they have no money? Move us and just call them. And he's like, well, and I said, you give me so many wells. You have far more time your day because you're not nearly at my level. But you can't make the calls. I make those calls. And and he's like, and he stopped making the calls. And he went from making, I think it was 70 grand a year, 100 before expenses. Now he's at like 250 and it's not even halfway through the year. And he said, I didn't know these. I said, of course, because you do the right things. God will reward you. There's an energy out there. If you just touch base with people, eventually someone's going to say, my aunt left me some money. Or I have somebody who can use your help. Or maybe you just brighten their goddamn day. You already get paid to service them. So be grateful you have them to call. Be kind. Do something for them. I know. Oh, and the other thing you and I talk about that I'm just going to roll into this is uh, how often we hear, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. But it's not about time. It's about choices. And you make the choice of those little things that you said that you do consistently. But you make the choice of calling your clients and calling those people and being proactive and making it consistent. So let's be clear. We can't make time, but we can make choices. That's my only plug there. I'm going to have to say this. At one point, I watched a video by Alan Schwarzenegger. I told you about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, you know, I come to America and I work out, I work eight days a week, hours a day in construction. Then I go to acting class four hours. Then I work out four hours. Then I sleep or whatever it was. But he said he sleeps five or six. And he said, somebody said to me, I, I think I need more sleep. That's not enough sleep. He said, I sell you sleep faster. <laughs> and you know what? That's it. If you want, if you want what I have, get up and take it from the world. Get up and chase it. You'll get it. Like I believe the universe is very forgiving and very giving. And I believe we're meant to have success. Like God and the universe, they, we're not meant to fail. Uh, failure is a negative energy that we sometimes fall back into. But we really want to succeed. If you go push through it, but you also have to push through a lot of no's. When I got out of jail, I was on food stamps and mass health. And we're not going back 15 years. I'm going back nine years. Okay. My house is in foreclosure. I owed 700000 You know, today I built a house. I don't carry a note. I, I drive what I want. I have a business that's nice. I have the luxury. The most important thing is this. My kids' college is funded. That's the most important thing is I can take care of my kids because my parents tried so hard, but they couldn't do it. It's nice I can give that gift, you know? Yep. The fourth choice. I'm going to take us to the fourth choice now because we've touched on this. The fourth critical choice that I made on my journey was to create community and belonging. And uh, I was 30. I was 30 years old. I had created more professional success than I made. I could ever imagine, right? Like you, poverty, food stamps, all those things. And then all of a sudden I'm, you know, top on the sales leaderboard. I'm like, what the heck is that? And I, so more professional success than I could imagine. But I looked around and I was friendly with everyone, friends with no one. I I just, I I didn't belong. Right. And I, and I had a childhood of not belonging. So now this is going to, you know, has there been a time that you have felt like you didn't belong? God, I know that. Yeah. I know the answer is yes. Will you, Absolutely. Will you share with us when Most of my how life. that felt? Most of my life, I felt like I didn't belong. So when I found drugs and alcohol, that wasn't a problem. They were a solution. Opioids made me belong. They made me feel comfortable, made me feel whole. When I got sober, I felt really out of place. And I had Billy just drag me to meetings. You know, I'd say, oh, I had a bad day at work. I'm not making any money. I haven't made money in nine months. Okay, I'll pick you up. 
we'd go places, everybody would throw in and have eat all after an A meeting and everybody would go and throw in a Chinese food. I'd have 20 bucks slipped to me under the table. He'd give me money. I always, so he, the, my way of building community was a guy dragging me and forcing me. Um, the last time I felt like I didn't belong was the last couple of years. I was going through some stuff at home. I wasn't plugged into AA. I was working. So I felt like I was between three worlds, but I, you know, like I always said I was surface friendly. I was, Hey, yeah. how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Inside I was in pain. So the last couple of years or last year, my life was probably one of the most painful years because I didn't get the time with my kids. I wanted because I was trying to work and make sure their mother could be home. When I was home, I just felt kind of disconnected. And uh, that's hard for me to admit. But the last couple of months have been rock star like that. I'm back in 12-step meetings. I'm doing like five a week. I'm plugged in with guys. You know, I'm having meals with them, this and that. And when I make that a priority, I'm a better dad. I'm a better business guy. Everything just flows. So for me, that's the community I need. I, and as much as I deny it for a while, I thought I could be like a normal person. I'm not a normal person. I need that community. Well, first off, I think everybody needs community. Absolutely. Everybody needs community. That happens to be a community that lifts you up and you lift them up. And so I, I believe and I've experienced that belonging really requires reciprocity. You yeah, know, it, it, does. It, it requires action on both parts. Absolutely. And so that community, starting with Bill or Billy, yeah. you know, that community showed you that they wanted you to belong. And then you took action to belong. It's funny. So I now that I'm back in it, I'm putting my hand up again. It feels so awkward. And uh, it used to be so natural. And yesterday, there was a guy who spoke who owns a sub shop down the street. And I said to Anthony, he invited me every Sunday. He has a men's meeting and he cooks for them in the morning for breakfast. So I said, yeah. He's like, you should come. I was like, yeah, 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 I'll be there. So I sent him a text today thanking him because he's really made an effort to make me feel. And he goes, you are welcome and you are wanted. And like that guy's text today. Maybe I can go back to that last night, that meeting I went to last night started in my living room nine years ago. I started that meeting with Billy. It grew, it grew. Now it's at a hall and it was so hard for me to go back there. Last night was my first time in two and a half years. And when I was there, I felt right, right at home. But the step of going there and yes, putting, putting your hand out and it's awkward. It's painful. Yeah. And and this ties, I, one of the things I wanted to to pull from you is what does it feel like to belong? And you just, it feels like, feels like home. It feels like I'm wanted. It yeah. feels like I'm valued. And it's also hard sometimes to put yourself in that place because of, like for me, at least it's the fear of rejection, the fear of not belonging. Oh, God. And they're like, snap out of it. Come yeah. on. <laughs> I think it's just you got to push through it because I, listen, I go through that all the time. And then um, I don't know what it is. I, I think now I know that action is the only way through anything. So you mm -hmm. just got to take action. And that's what I do. I, even when I'm extremely uncomfortable, I'm like, well, I'll do this. Yeah, sure. And uh, usually like I went golfing first time in like years with some AA guys on 4th of July. I didn't want to go. I felt awkward. I was nervous. I was literally nauseous all day. I got there. I had the best time I ever had golfing. And I was like, wow, I haven't golfed. And it just, I fit in. Like they kept saying, wow, you belong with us. This is great. And I kept thinking to myself, like, why do I fight this? Yeah, why? Why? It's a fear. Of the, it's, it's more comfortable to be in discomfort. I really believe that. I totally believe that. And you're not alone in that. Yeah, I believe. There's so many reasons for myself, for you, for others that we coach and who we're with. It feels so good to belong, yet it seems so difficult to make that happen. And this is going to take me to our fifth choice because I think this rolls right okay. in here. The fifth critical choice I made was to finally embrace my boundless capacity to love. And I want to just pause for a second and be very clear with the audience what, what I mean here is the choice... What I'm talking about here is not love as an emotion. We've talked about yeah. this, like with our kids, yeah. you know, when my kids were born, I didn't have to choose to love them. Yeah. You know, I just did. 
What I'm talking about is love the action, love the verb. And the choice to give my love and all of it in every interaction that I have. And then the choice to also receive all the love that others want to give back to me. Now, I was 45 years old before I made that choice. Married, two kids, perfect, quote unquote, professional life, personal life, whatever. But I still withheld. I still was guarded. I still didn't want to give and receive at all. So with that... (laughs) Let's talk about that a little bit because I know you've experienced the same. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. More than I'd like to admit, Um, especially right now. I think because of the fear of getting hurt when somebody shows you anything that would hurt, people that have been hurt like us, that you just you shut right off. Um, It's easy with my kids. You know, I I see them. I just want to hug them and squeeze them, like bite their little noses. It's so cute. But when it's it's other people, um, it's weird. Like uh, my buddy Billy, I can just give me receive love unconditionally. Friend Johnny from a former life, like we used to hang out a lot. I went to his Fourth of July fireworks. He's a tough guy, and I haven't seen him in years. And he's really a t- intense guy, and I can give him receive love because I know he genuinely loves me. Most people, I'm guarded. I'll be honest, I'm very guarded with that. I, I've got to work on that a lot. People who work for me, I'm pretty good about it because mm-hmm. I genuinely see them every day. And I, you know, the guide comes down. Um. Yeah, it's, it's probably one of my biggest weak spots. Well, I think it's human nature's biggest weak spots. It, probably, yeah. How about scary. this? What does it feel like when you do choose to give, to give it all? That's a great all, feeling. All is like the the key word here, right? Yeah. To not withhold. I like. I think that's great because when you do, let's tell you, yeah, like you and I clicked right off the bat. Right. And like when we just vibe, it vibes. It's just comfortable. Gary and I clicked right off the bat. His friend Kurt, I, same thing. So the people I click with, they get to see like the real Ryan, you know, which is goofy and funny and laid back. Most of the world sees Ryan with a little bit of an edge. And, uh, you know, when I go to the bank, the kids at the bank know me. When I go to the ice cream, anywhere I go consistent, I can be me. But it takes a while. And at first you just see me and, you know, I'm polite, but I'm definitely, you know, I can look right through you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something I've been working on is letting myself be myself more. You are a giver. You are a big giver. You give of your time. You give gifts. What, what is it? Time, talent, treasure. I don't know. I've heard something, something like that. that yeah. Right. So I think you do like all three, all the time, even the stories that you were just telling us. Uh, why is it? So here's my observation. An observation is, is sometimes it's easier to receive. No, it's easier to give yeah, yeah. than to receive. I agree. Why is that? I think when you're giving towards somebody, you don't have it. There's no risk. You're just doing what you're going to do. You're being you. When you're receiving, you've got to be open to receiving. you got to hope they're giving you what's genuine and what's pure and what's not corrupted. I can do anything. I can do anything. I've got somebody in my life right now I'm doing a lot for. But I wouldn't let that individual do much for me because I just, I don't, you know, I just closed off because there's too much risk when you're letting somebody in. It's easy to give. Right. But here's the thing. And I have to tell myself this too. And I think that we got to practice this a little bit is... The feeling of joy and and love that you get when you give, right? Because I see it in you. I see it when you tell the stories and, and you you get from giving. And so when we don't receive, we're actually blocking that person's ability to get back to. That's true. Do you yeah. know what I, I mean? I never thought of it that way, but yeah, it is. You kind of shut them down and not yeah. giving them that opportunity to fulfill you. Yeah, like it's okay for me to 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 get the enjoyment and the fulfillment and the love and the joy from giving, but I'm not going to let you get that. 
It's right. true. It's true. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. I always just thought of it being nice. Yeah, like, but I the mean, truth is, yeah, you kind of have boundaries on what you, you know, it's totally. supposed to be a two-way street. And it could be like something like so small or so big or, or, or whatever. And I know that when we do choose to give our love, whether that's through kindness or service or listening or forgiveness or picking up the phone or yeah. all of these different ways that love manifests itself, that I believe that that is when we really start to create enduring success, lasting success, true success, not just for ourselves, but for those people around us, including our kids. Yeah, that's true. And I know that there's, you know, an infinite number of reasons why we as people hold back and don't give and, and, and with, withhold and guard. But my question always is, what if, what if each of us in just the next five interactions, like just the next five interactions we have with the human beings around us, if we truly showed up with the intent of giving all and receiving all. Yeah, I think it would be good. You know, when you say it that way, I do think it could be a real positive. I think that's something that by working on it, life gets more fulfilling and more full of joy. I think the longer you withhold stuff like that, you bottle up. Yeah. You know? And then you miss out. Absolutely. Every time I've put my hand out to somebody or done something, it's always and, and I've allowed it to come back. And I've had it's easy when you're in a group that has common goals. It's it's a little different society, but I think taking the first step like that and allowing somebody, you know, most people don't want to hurt you. I always say that most people would rather help somebody than hurt them for sure. And then we just maybe need to just trust a little bit more <laughs> that their intent is there too. And when I think about my journey, that was my fifth choice because I wasn't emotionally, mentally, spiritually prepared to make that choice until I did. But if I would have just started there, then committing to a two-way agreement wouldn't have actually been a choice. I would have just naturally done it. Build trust, it wouldn't have been a choice. I would have just done it. Community and belonging. I think things unfold the way they're supposed happens. to. I think they unfold the way they're supposed to. I think it takes all that stuff to build up to allow you to feel like you can give. To you know finally what I mean? I be think able to there's do a it. path. I think I think that you you the path went the way it was supposed to. I am so grateful that I met you when it, it I met such you. Cool time, yeah. That I met you and when I met you, and that we allowed each other to give and receive. Yeah, it was really natural with us. I mean, it was funny. We're just sitting next to each other on the airplane, jamming away. <laughs> I'm like, you know, for me, I don't really talk on the airplane because, me but it was such a common thing. When I learned what you did, I was like, oh my God, I love this. This is incredible. Right. You're so awesome. Okay. <laughs> so the fact that like I wanted so much to come back here and be in your, stu- in like, your studio, in your studio, live with you, Gary's studio, <laughs> yeah. live with you to have this conversation. I mean, that's, that's want. This is cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, this is cool. That's it's want. a cool vibe. It's know. a cool vibe. Now I know we got to wrap this up. We got to wrap it up. So how can people find you? So you can reach out to me at Ryan at rebuildwithryanskinner.com. Um, they can watch our show, our YouTube show, Cracking the Code, which is one where we interview people, we interview you about interesting lives, what they did to overcome adversity. Um, it's just a joy to be on here. You're great. Yeah, awesome. And you can always find me. You'll see all the contact information that comes up next. Thank you for joining us for the Choose and Become interview series. Thank you for joining me for our Choose and Become interview series. You could find this episode and others at trishkendall.com. Just go to trishkendall.com backslash choose dash become dash interview dash series. Or if you have a question or just want to leave a comment, email me trish at trishkendall.com.